We're continuing our focus on uh, the first few verses of Hebrews chapter 1. Let me read them again. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So we've talked about Jesus as being the, uh, the heir and as the creator of all things. Uh, I want to focus on the next part, that the sun is the radiance of God's glory. So, or the radiant light of God's splendor. So the first statement told us that Jesus was heir. The second statement told us what he had done. He'd created things. We go back now to this idea of of who he is, of of his being. And uh, this third one is a statement designed to drive home the idea that that Jesus is fully God and and that he is is sort of uh, the glory of God. Uh, He is better than the angels, he's better than Moses, he's better than the law, he's better than the prophets, he's better than anyone, any place, any time, you know, anything else. So, the radiance of God's glory. Um, He is the brightness that goes with the light. And if you think about this, uh, you can't really separate the brightness and the light, right? I mean, they sort of go together. And there is this understanding theologically that, uh, that the glory of God, so the radiance of his being, the glory of God, is the sum total of all of the attributes of God put together. It's not its own thing. It is an expression of all the things put together. So it's an outpouring of his holiness and his justice and his love and his mercy and his power and his wisdom. Right? All these things put together become the radiance uh, of God's glory. And as such, they cannot be transferred to somebody else. You cannot imagine somebody else having the sum total (laughs) of God being something that they could express. And we we get a little bit of a play on this in the book of Exodus, which I've been in personal, my own devotional Times for the last six months or so, I'm reading, uh, among other things, I'm reading Leon Cass's book. Uh, he just came out with a massive commentary on Exodus. And Leon Cass is a, uh, a Jewish academic, sort of a political philosopher, great books guy. He's, he's older. He worked, taught, he sort of led the Bible studies in the book of Exodus with lots of, you know, uh, lots of sort of Jewish elites. Uh, for the last 20 years, and then uh, he moved over to Jerusalem. His wife passed away, and he moved over to Israel, and he's been working with the rabbis over there. So he, he brings this unique perspective as a Jew and as a, polit- and as a political thinker. Uh, so I've really been enjoying that. But there's this, there's this uh, event where Moses is meeting God, and at one point Moses says, you know, I want to see your face, and God says, you can't and survive. There isn't any way that that could happen, and they go back and forth, and eventually God says, look, I'm going to, I'm going to tuck you away in the crevice of a rock, and I'm going to hide. I'm going to block so that you can't see me, and I'm going to move past it, and then after I move past, I'm going to remove my hand, and you'll be able to see where I was, the backside of me as I'm moving away. Uh, 
And I mean, it's obviously it's it's this it's this uh, profound metaphorical kind of imagery uh, of of Moses being brought into the presence of God. But after that happens, right? The the radiance, the reflection off of Moses's face is so great that when he goes down off the mountain, nobody can stand to look at him, and he has to wear a veil over his face because otherwise, the reflection. And just as a general rule. <laughs> Human faces don't reflect. Uh, the reflection of Moses is so great that people can hardly look at it. Well, what we're talking about here with Jesus is not the reflection uh, of God's glory, but it is the actual eminence of God's glory. Jesus is God. He is the radiance. He is the brightness. He is the light. He is the glory of God the Father. And, and I, I say this because, look, there's a sense, and this pulls in, all kinds of people, Augustine forward, that, that our life works best when our loves and our fears are rightly ordered. When we, when we love the things we ought to love and when we, when we fear the things we ought to fear and we keep those things, not love and fear, but we, keep, we, we love the right things and we fear the right things and that, that keeps us from loving the wrong things or fearing the wrong things. And, and when that happens, there is a, there's a way in which the, the love and the fear are going to manifest themselves in terms of worship. We, we end up then declaring the worth of the things that are truly worthy. And it is easy, or let me say it this way, it is easier to worship God when we have a, a more robust understanding of who he is. Like the, the right, the, the only expression of a response that makes any sense in the presence of God is awe and worship. And so what we are trying to do is, is uh, figure out how we can uh, rightly order our loves and having a better understanding of who God is enables that. And remember, this is written to people who are facing trials and persecutions. And so they want to know that what they are loving and what they are fearing is rightly ordered. Uh, I want to encourage you to examine what you love and what you fear today. Have a great day. See you tomorrow.